All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the MoneyWise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website, at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your money wise guys you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162 if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, and the week just passed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1,010 points, or 3%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 109 points, or 2.7%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 392 points, or 3.3%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 1%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 3.4%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 8.9%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, I think for any of our longtime uh, MoneyWise listeners, notice a little bit uh, difference in my voice. I'm having my semi-annual Kyle loses his voice. Um, so I'm going to power through this weekend's MoneyWise program. So apologize for any squeaking or cracking voice throughout the show. So, Joe, it's an opportunity for you and I to really <laughs> get in everything we want to say this week because – Kyle won't be able to 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 just to uh, uh, give the counterpoint if he can't if he can't talk. So if you, you, know, if you can't I talk, you can't defend yourself on radio. But of show. course, I'm I'm speaking for Joe, saying that he's going to have the same views as me, and that isn't always the case. So I wouldn't so, want to speak out of turn, Joe. So in other words, you're saying I'm going to be this weekend's punching bag because yes, I, I've got you, one hand tied. Behind we're going to hit back. you while you're down, bro. Uh, be ready. You. We're coming. You. What what a lovely family we are, right? The bears the bears will be mauling today. Well, well, let's not let's not you know let's not throw our bear jackets on just yet or man furs you know. But let's talk about this past week. Now, obviously, with the Dow rolling over, going into the red year to date, and you know we've talked about this and on past shows that we didn't trust the run-up that the markets had in January. 
and we talked about some short covering that was taking place, some repositioning after a lot of the tax loss harvesting that occurred in the fourth quarter of 2022. But I think something else from a positioning standpoint was that there were definitely these more bullish money managers that were anticipating that the Federal Reserve was going to be stopping rate increases sooner and that Inflation was going to come down at a much faster clip to where they were going to be cutting interest rates before the end of the year, which we've said on this program, we three agree that the Fed most likely is not going to be cutting rates this year. I think that is one thing we can all agree on. Um, and so obviously in the last couple of weeks, as we got the hotter CPI number, the hotter PPI number, then we get a hotter core PCE number on Friday that just reiterated the hotter CPI and PPI numbers. It now seems that all of this optimism of the Fed cutting rates by the end of the year that was built into the market in the first four to six weeks of this year is now being taken out. So can I start the mauling? Uh, really, really, <laughs> because I'll just I ring hate, the bell. I, 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 I hate to maul you up a little to, to what yeah. I just discussed. Well, I hate to maul you up a little bit, Kyle, but weren't you kind of in that camp uh, of looking for a rate cut by the end of the year? Maybe absolutely a month not. ago. Oh, okay, no, no I'll go back to the tape on that. No, 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 can we look like here's that commercial that has the replay when the guy comes out with the replay camera? <laughs> now, now, no, no, no. Now, now, here, now, here was my position at the beginning of the year. I said that the Fed most likely is going to increase rates twice. Now, with that said, over the last couple of weeks with the CPI and PPI number and now the core PCE, and I said this on last weekend's show and have had this conversation with clients, I am now more in your camp, Jeff. Where we're probably going to see three rate increases you know, so we'll have one in March. We'll have another one as we get into the second quarter. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get one more. So we possibly could see four rate increases this year, but I'd say three for sure. So I'm now in agreement with your prediction from the beginning of the year. There, there's also a little bit of talk. I mean, Friday, I think I, I was reading that there's a some, some forecasters think there's a 30% chance they're going to raise rates the next session, 50 basis points. And that's that could shock the markets a little bit if all of a sudden they do that. I think that maybe the market can digest slowly, what, three-quarter basis point, uh, three-quarter rate hikes in a row. But Well, you know. and, that might, and that might be what we're possibly pricing in this past week is that there could be a half of 1% increase at the, nat- at the next uh, rate meeting. And so that is a possibility, and that percentage has been increasing. But the other thing, though, that we have to see, and this is why we've been talking on this program about being patient, not getting sucked in or the fear of missing out, because the markets are not going to snap back to all-time highs in three or four weeks. It's just not going to happen. And so we have to now hear the PPI CPI, the core PCE data from February to see if possibly the hotter numbers in January was just a beginning of the year anomaly. But if it's confirmed when we get the February data that it is also hotter, then this is going to just extend the Federal Reserve and not only the length of time they're going to be raising rates, but possibly the magnitude each rate increase. So, because I know that there was a lot of discussion the last couple of days 
<clears throat> of this past week that it, January and the hotter inflation data could just be an anomaly, but we still need a lot more data before we can determine whether that's true or not. Well, the the market seems to be voting at this point that, that I'd rather just get out of uh, what I bought in January and take my whatever profit I have left and find out if it is an anomaly or not. And so here we are with it. You know, if you have another week like this, the S&P is going to be negative for the year uh, and the NASDAQ is going to be give up half of its gains uh, again in one week for the year. And we'll beat up what 4% in the NASDAQ. So it, it's it, the fantasy that drove the markets up in the last six weeks that ended when that then that uh, unemployment number came out, that fantasy is now over, and I'll stop, and we'll pick that up on the other side. Okay, so let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week. You know, now we've had, what, two down, down weeks in a row. We've seen hotter uh, inflation data, whether it's the producer price index, consumer price index, the core uh, personal consumption expenditures, which was originally the data point the Fed used to determine interest rates and whether they needed to increase or decrease. And, of course, they came in on Friday hotter. In fact, the year-over-year PCE or or personal consumption expenditures came in year-over-year at 5.38%. But the month over month is what really got the attention of the market because it was up slightly over six-tenths of a percent, 0.62% to be exact. And that's what definitely caused jitters throughout the market. And then what do we have next week, Jeff? We have employment data that's going to be coming out. Is it Actually, actually we don't. It, it is, we don't. It okay. is following, it's the, the following, following Friday. Friday. I thought we were going to have employment data, but it's going to be – it's not going to be until the 10th. Uh, so next week we have durable goods pitting home sales and construction spending. I don't think there's really anything in those numbers that's necessarily market moving. And we're we're down to the very, very tail end of earnings news. I think we only have like two or three stocks in our portfolio uh, that are left uh, to report earnings for the fourth quarter of 2022. So there's 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 not a lot of news from the earnings front. Uh, there isn't any inflate necessarily any inflation news next week, uh, and so we've got what uh, two trading days uh, to end February. And February at this point is is looking negative. Uh, and I'll correct something, Kyle. We're three three straight weeks down now three on the S okay. on the S and P five hundred, uh, probably on the Dow and the, and the Nasdaq also. <clears throat> so. That, like I said before, the fantasy of 
of uh, the the pivot, the whatever you want to call it. And we're going to be getting rate cuts at the end of the year. Uh, so let's start buying stocks now. You know, that is over. Uh, th- that is not being supported by the uh, data that's come out here the last few weeks. The data is showing that there's still more work to do. I will agree with what Kyle, you know, Kyle said that, that these, these numbers could be an anomaly. Uh, that is true. It could be an anomaly. Uh, but we're not going to know uh, for another month. Uh, whether those numbers were an anomaly or not. And so what happens in between? What's what's uh, the the uh, catalyst, as they like to use on Wall Street, for stocks to go higher or lower? Is Are there more catalysts to put, push stocks higher, or are there more catalysts to push stocks lower? Yes, Joe. There's a whole other – there's another point of view on this. So say we're going to have three more uh, – three more rate hikes to the end of the year. And I, a couple of analysts have come out and said, all right, even a very bearish analyst said his best case scenario until the Fed, quote unquote, no fun till the Fed is done. Maybe we're in this range, okay, of the S&P, and Kyle may have the numbers better than I do, and maybe that's where we are. Maybe we keep trading in this range until we actually get through this rate hiking cycle and we can see light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, at the beginning of the year, everybody's like, oh, guess what? We're going to have maybe the maybe we were wrong. We were all thinking the second part of the year may be good, and the first part uh, is not going to be as good. And then everybody shift their ideas and said, well, maybe maybe we were wrong about that. Maybe the first part of the year, we're going to see the market rally, and maybe the, the end of the year may not be so great. So getting back to my point that I've talked about the last couple shows, trying to handicap the unhandicappable is still difficult. But I think th- – I'm not making a call here, but I think we're going to be, we might be trading in a range until we get to the third quarter this year, or we at least get through these rate hikes. But I well, don't see and, a pivot. I don't see them cutting rates, you know. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's, it's going to be so data dependent, just like when it comes to investing in the stock market, it's very similar right now with the Fed and their rate decisions is it's going to be so data dependent because we saw how the markets have reacted over the last three weeks to hotter than expected inflation data. Even though inflation is moving in the right direction, it's moving at a snail's pace. Now, again, the $64,000 question is, will the decrease in inflation start to pick up steam as we get further along into the year? Will the all the rate decisions and all the rate increases from 2022 and now into 2023 start to take firmer grip on the overall economy. Um, and, and you just don't know. And this is the reason why we've been preaching patience on the Money Wise program for an extended period of time, you know, not to get too over allocated into stocks. I mean, as of Friday's close, if you look at our moderate allocations, we're hovering right around the 42% allocation to stock. But the other part of our portfolio, you know, the 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 fifty eight percent portion of the portfolio on the fixed income side, you know, we're getting north of four percent in total return on that side of the portfolio. And so you have to take advantage of this higher interest rate environment that we've talked about on this program that we haven't had access to in over 15 years. And talking about range, you know, we've right now, and I agree, Joe, we're, we're really stuck in a range, you know, 4,200 on the S&P 
on the resistance at the top line resistance and 3,800 on the support side. So that's the range that the market has been operating in for an extended period of time, about a 400 point range. And as of Friday's close, we have the S&P 500 right smack dab in between the 50-day moving average and the 200-day moving average. And as I said on last week's program, the real big line in the sand from a support side of the market in the S&P 500 is 3,765. You know, if we break below 3,765, then we could be heading back to those October intraday lows of 3,490. But again, it takes time. I mean, you look, you know, we were talking about this before the show. The longer term pattern for the S&P 500 going back to its all time high January of last year is we're still in this bear trajectory. If you take a shorter period of time going back really to October of last year, it's showing a little bit more of a bullish trend. So. <clears throat> You well, know, this is had, what we talk about that handicapping the unhandicappable. Yeah. We we had that kind of we had that trend occur between June and, and August only to have it ultimately fail and go lower because the, the markets were expecting the the Fed to not raise interest rates as much. And then what happened? Jackson Hole came along and changed everything. And that's when we after the Jackson Hole meeting is when we when we later went down to about thirty five hundred on the S P. But here's the difference. But here's really the difference is that none of us would anticipate the Fed to be raising interest rates this entire year like they did last year, you know, starting in March. None of us anticipate that. Well, no no one's anticipated that. The market's not handicapping that in any way. The Fed is not saying that in any way. Uh, But if they do follow through on three additional interest rate increases, we'll just call them 25 basis point increases, that's going to take the Fed funds rate to 5.5%. Um, when was the last time we had 5.5% federal funds rates? I, I'm not even sure we've had 5.5% Fed funds rates this century mm-hmm. uh, because that would put mortgage rates – I mean, is that going to put mortgage rates in the eights, in the high sevens, the low – no, not the nines. I mean, that would, would that put mortgage rates, you know, almost at 8%. I mean – Interest rates, and we hadn't said anything about interest rates in general. We talked about the Fed funds rate this week, but interest rates in terms of like the 10-year treasury has moved up a tenth of a percent here these last few weeks. As the market has come down, interest rates have come up. We were up another uh, more than a tenth of a percent in the week just past. We went out Friday 3.951 on the 10-year treasury. I saw our you know, two years, which we've got we've got money, uh, some recent purchases in the two year uh, yield range. You know, pushing four point eight percent. We have actually decided, you know, we put some money aside a few weeks ago, thinking we were going to either deploy it into into stocks or deploy buy some more stocks or or buy some more bonds or or both. And uh, on Friday, we decided to put that money back into our high yield money market fund. Because if they're going to keep, if now the the uh, the trend seems to be the Fed's going to just going to keep raising rates for the next couple of months, uh, we can be patient when we start making another you know another purchase out you know maybe two or th- or three years. I heard some guy on CNBC talking about you know buying bonds out in three and four years. It's like why, why do I want to do that right now? 
uh, when I can get I get better yields, at, at, you know, in two years out. And I, I and I guess the only the only guess is that he's he's assuming this particular advisor is assuming that interest rates are going to be lower uh, three or four years out. I have no idea. Nobody knows when interest rates are going to be three or four years out. And I see we're coming up the break, so I'm going to stop there and pick it up on the other side. Okay, we'll pick that up. After the break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, continuing recapping of Wall Street for this weekend's MoneyWise program. You know, it's funny, Jeff, because I and, and Joe, I've been reading just more and more articles about, you know, where's some of the best places to position, where's the best place to position money, and they're all talking short-term treasuries. And I definitely was not reading articles like that three or four months ago when we started our process of, of starting to add short-term treasuries into all of our client portfolios across the board, uh, whether an asset builder and the asset builder asset allocation models or the individual stock and bond portfolios. <clears throat> and now it seems that, you know, a lot more analysts are now starting to jump on the bandwagon. But as you were saying in the last segment, you know, we'd raised cash, like you said, to because we were anticipating deploying some more into the stock side of the market, deploy more in the fixed income, and, and can kind of continue our corporate bond building. But now after this hotter uh, inflation data across the board, we decided on Friday to just put that money right back into our higher-yielding position-traded money market account and let the data come to us. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not in fear of rapidly declining interest rates, nor am I in fear of rapidly increasing stock prices. Uh, we, as Joe aptly put it in the first segment, we are stuck in this range. And it, it, if you believe that the range is between 38 and 4,200, we are maybe slightly below the center of that range right now. And we have no news next week to really push the markets one way or the other, based unless there's some Fed speak. I did actually should have gone and seen who's got any speeches uh, scheduled next week. I'll do that and come back with, with that information on the next segment. That's about the only thing that's going to move move the markets is if there's any Fed speeches next week because there isn't anything economically, there really isn't anything from an earnings point of view. The momentum right now is not up. The momentum is switched. The, the momentum now is decidedly down uh and if if we don't hold that channel uh, as you know as we've been talking about then there's 300 points lower to get us to the to the low we saw uh last october right at 3500 and that would take you know we're and i'm not exactly sure where we are right now in terms of high to the current price if we're back in that minus 20% uh, which is the classic bear market measurement, 
Uh, but we may, we may, if we're very close to it now, we definitely may be there next week. So we'll be back in the officially in the bear market. And uh, here, and we'll, we'll have all those bears. They're going to march all the bears out on CNBC. You know, I keep hearing the same old guy. It's, it's funny, the guys at noon, they always had the same people. And they always their position never really seems to change. We got the one, we got the bullish guy, we got the bearish guy. And it's, in, in some respects here in the last six months, I think that's kind of a microcosm also what's been happening at Davidson Capital. Some of us have been a little more bearish than others. And there's plenty of statistics on either side to support either argument. The, well, the, but the market, say, the market has been decidedly bearish here in the last year, and it's, and it's all because of interest rates and because we are able to earn a return in an asset class that has been forgotten. I mean, this asset class was forgotten for a decade, more than a decade, and it is, and it's now making a, a resurgence. But you gotta, you've got to invest in it a little differently. Because we're not, we're doing things in fixed income. We've done things in fixed income in the last uh, year and a half that we've never done in the history of our company. Number one, we sold more bonds than we ever had last last year, which gave us a great year in bond, you know, helped to contribute to having a great year in bonds, along with buying that that particular investment that profited when interest rates went higher that we made 20% in in 2022. And then this year, we, 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 we don't own any mutual funds that invest in bonds. We don't own any ETFs that invest in bonds. We own individual government bonds for the first time ever in our uh, asset builder accounts, which is our under million dollar uh, client accounts, which we've done, you know, we've never done that before. And, and, and like you said, Kyle, well, oh, now the analysts are starting to know, well, where were, you know, it's like, we, we are ahead of our time here in South Texas, aren't we? I mean, well, I mean, we have been managing bonds actively for quite a few number of decades. So, and and Dad goes back all the way to the to the eighties. So, you know, we have we have a very good uh, sensei, uh, to, to say the least, when it comes to fixed income management. But one thing I wanted to pick up, Joe, and I'll come to you in just a second, that we were talking about in the last segment is that you know we're all in agreement that the Fed. You know, right now, they will be ending interest rate increases sometime this year. But as we said at the very first program of 2023, that we all anticipated this year's market to be a second half year market. Now, after we had the nice run up in January, we're all starting in our strategy meeting saying, you know, did we miss it? Is it going to be more of a first half of the year? And a lot of analysts started marching out in the financial entertainment press kind of saying the same thing. Well, boy, you haven't heard that in the last few weeks, have you? No. Saying that it's going to be a first half year and not a second half year that those people have completely disappeared. So the second half year, Prediction is definitely still in place, but like I said, I've adjusted my prediction and in more in alignment with Jeff from the beginning of the year that we're going to see more than two interest rate increases, particularly after the last three weeks of higher inflation data. But we'll wait and see what February uh, inflation data that comes out next month says to see if January was just an anomaly. We just don't know yet. So this is why we're, again, I'm going to repeat myself, remaining patient in your portfolios 
and being very keenly aware of your allocations to stocks, and in particular, the stocks that you own and their overall valuation. You know, you were asking about earnings earlier in the program, and I've got the statistics right here updated through Friday. Um, As of Friday, 94% of the S&P 500 companies have reported their actual results. 68% of those S&P 500 companies have reported a positive earnings per share surprise, and 66% have reported a positive revenue surprise. But I'm going to put that in there. But here's the but, and it really comes down to earnings growth. For the fourth quarter of 2022, the the blended earnings decline for the S&P 500 is a negative 4.8%. So it actually ticked up from the previous week. Now, if negative 4.8 earnings decline holds true, this will be the first year-over-year earnings decline since the third quarter of 2020 when it was down 5.7%. Now, the one other thing I wanted to mention is looking at valuations. Currently through Friday, the forward 12-month price earnings ratio for the S&P 500 is 17.7, which is just five-tenths higher than the 10-year average of 17.2. So the current valuation for the S&P, it's below the five-year average of 18.5. It's slightly above the 10-year average. So based on these forward, you know, the forward guide valuation from a price earnings multiple, I wouldn't say the, the, the market is too terribly overpriced. Well, I want to hit if on you're looking at on a ten on a on a five year basis, Jeff, it's it's below the five year average, and it's slightly just slightly five tenths of a percent, uh, or five tenths above the ten year average. I don't believe I'm a bear market has ever ended with valuations at eighteen times. Yeah, and then Kyle threw out statistics before the show about you know, ten out of uh, ten out of four, eleven. Anyways. out of Eleven out of fourteen. My interest point rate being is, what do you do with your portfolio? Yeah. Okay, for the home gamers, for those of you that are listening, if you haven't done a portfolio review, what have you done? If you have an advisor, where do they have you positioned? You you're being paid for being patient. You're being paid for sitting in a brokerage money market account more than four percent right now. You know, are you taking advantage of that? Are you buying treasuries where you're getting a little over four percent? Yep. Okay. We have to clarify something about about brokerage money market accounts because they are not created equal. And what we are invested in trades like a mutual fund. Um, I would imagine, Joe, that the legacy distribution system probably wants their clients to keep their idle cash in in the lowest-yielding money market fund that they could possibly keep them in. Because that's going to make them a heck of a lot of money. Right. They'll and move they're, investments they're, they can they're make probably, money on. They're yeah. probably not going to be advertising if it's even offered. I mean, I, I have no idea. I, most of this, the, I've, the, the couple of portfolio reviews that, I, that I've done in the week just passed, uh, there was hardly any bonds in either one of those portfolios. And these were these are portfolios that had, you know, 30 to 60 securities spread across a bunch of different accounts. There's very little fixed income securities in, in the portfolios. Um, <clears throat> and there certainly weren't any 
high yield money market fund uh, options that, that they were invested. Most, you know, Wall Street isn't going to want you to be in a, in a in a in a money market or a high yield money market. Oh, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to stop right there and I'll come back. I'll come back after my break. Hey, 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 to cut you off, you're like Sorry. butter because you were on a roll. So <laughs> let's take our next commercial break. You listen to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So I just wanted to catch all of our listeners up in case they're just tuning in. Jeff, you were talking about a couple portfolio reviews and analysis that you did last week, and it, the conversation kind of spurred when Joe was talking about, and as we've always talked about, knowing what you own in your portfolio. And, you know, the one thing that we have access to as a registered investment advisor through our custodian is a position-traded money market account that trades like a mutual fund but is definitely paying a lot more of a lucrative annualized yield that I think what we're suspecting that most of the legacy distribution brokerage firms out there would be paying their customers. So I well, want to you pick we, it up. We know that's the case because even if we, even at our, the broker that we use for the vast majority of our business, which is Charles Schwab, their standard money market fund yields are nowhere near uh, a position traded money market fund yield. And I'm sure that would, that would be the same at any brokerage firm, but there's another reason why the brokerage firms, would not necessarily want to promote to their customers to move money uh, to cash or, you know, to a higher yielding money market fund. And that is because uh, they're getting paid to keep their, keep their clients money in these stock funds. There's, you don't see any 12 B one fees in high yield money market funds or revenue sharing. You know, you're not going to get probably any revenue sharing in a high yield money market fund. So if you're in a stock fund or a bond mutual fund or something along those lines in a legacy distribution op- operation, there's there's going to be revenue sharing. There there could be 12B1 fees, which are marketing fees that the customer pays through the through their uh, investment in the fund that is then kicked down to uh, the brokerage firm for just having you own those funds. So there's no incentive. You know, just that's it's just like 08. When when we were looking at uh, client portfolios and they come in, they'd ask, say, well, you, we, are, we were down 40% last year. Well, I know why you were down 40% in 2008 because you didn't have any managing your money and you were you were in all these funds. You're in all these mutual funds. And why are we in all these mutual funds? Because the because if they moved you to cash, if they if they got if they actually position your portfolio defensively, it would hurt them economically, them meaning the brokerage firms. So they have a vested interest in keeping you fully invested in things that make them money not necessarily things that always make you money. Wouldn't that yeah. be called a passive strategy, Jeff? That it we is have called a passive on, strategy. That it's we've rattled on and on about this pro- on this program for but, what, but, now, but 17, we rattled, years? I mean, we rattled on and on for years about how we didn't own any bond funds at all. We didn't have any ETFs and bonds. We didn't have any mutual funds and bonds. Um, 
And now that's changed. Now it's okay to own some bonds. Now you have to own the right ones. I'm not saying go out and buy a long maturity bond fund in this environment because I don't know how many more times they're going to keep the Fed's going to raise interest rates. And right now it's paying more to be short maturity oriented than it is to be long maturity oriented. Is is someone at the legacy distribution system going to be smart enough to pick on pick up on that? Heck, no, they're not. That's not their job. Their job is to gather assets and manage I, I, I the portfolio as passively as possible. Yeah, I Jeff. would love to know how many RAs, registered investment advisors, actually implement somewhat of a laddered bond portfolio for their or laddered bond uh, portion for their portfolio or fixed income. They, I don't think I've seen one of those in well since I I've mean, been here. I mean, Joe, I mean, every time we, you know, we talk to prospective clients or just even talk to other money managers, I mean, we are very much old school. We are old school stock and bond, you know, jocks. And more and more firms are getting out of that business that they don't want to do it anymore. Um, For one, they just don't have the expertise. They don't have an investment management philosophy that they adhere to. And it's just, it takes a lot of work. It takes, it a, takes lot a lot of research. A lot of research. A tremendous amount of research time. and time and effort. That's what that's you're paying right. us a fee for, by the way. You're that's paying right. us a fee, you're paying for that. So. so totally changing the subject. I'd said in the previous segment, I was going to look to see if there are any Federal Reserve governors speaking next week that might move the markets one way or the other. We have uh, Governor Philip Jefferson talking at Harvard on Monday, and the, t- the topic of his speech will be recent inflation and the dual mandate. That ought to be an interesting speech. I see it looks like it's going to be uh, – you can watch it live. Hey, he's listening to online, no. watch it. The other one is Christopher Waller will be talking at an event on Thursday, and the topic is the economic outlook. So I'm sure there's probably going to be some questions about – uh, what the pulse is of the Federal Reserve in terms of a quarter or 50 basis point raise in the next meeting. And I, I, I hope he brings some dancing shoes with him because I'm <laughs> sure he will be dancing around. Both of those Federal Reserve governors, if there's a and a session, they'll be putting on their best dance for uh, for the audience. Well, Jeff, don't forget it's not just Fed governors anymore. It's also bank CEOs, namely Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan, because he opened his mouth this past week and the markets moved when he said the Fed's got to get to a 6% target. Um, I've even read stories from some people that are way out there saying the Fed needs to get up to an 8% federal funds rate and do it very quickly and just tear the Band-Aid off. But I just want to, before we get to the top of the hour, there was something that Rick Santelli, who's one of the CNBC uh, anchors or broadcasters, but he is a former bond trader. So he has a lot of industry experience, not just experience reading a teleprompter. And he made a comment about all the Fed interest rate increases. He says it's very similar to taking an antibiotic when you're sick. And his concern is that the Fed is going to push it too far as far as raising rates. He's saying it's no different than you go to the doctor, you get your prescription, and you go home and you take your first antibiotic. Then 10 minutes later, you take another antibiotic. And then 10 minutes after that, you take another one and then another one. He said no one would do that. He said this is exactly what the Federal Reserve is doing with interest rates and why he's screaming from the top of his lungs is that they need to pause and give it time 
to allow these interest rate increases to fully filter in through the economy. But I just thought that that was one of the best analogies I had heard in some time. And, of course, it would come from a former bond trader that comes up with that analogy. And I said, I've got to mention that on the show because it was one of the best I've heard in a long time. Well, all I can tell you is that is in service inflation is alive and well. It is. No less than three service providers since our last show have raised their prices on three services that I mm-hmm. have subscribed to for years. Two of them have raised their prices twice in the last year, and I see another service provider this week, and I bet you they're going to raise their prices too. So service inflation is still alive and well. And that, I think that's one of the things that the Federal Reserve was more worried about is service inflation not coming down, not so much goods. So with that, Keep plenty of powder dry. Have your buy list ready. Do not get caught up in fear of missing out or FOMO and tune into next weekend show. But we're going up to the top of the hour break. So we'll take the break, go into the news. And when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about. And for any longtime listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or f- any any shape and form. And so... The reason why I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into a deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a blanket warning 
to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity. And if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm-hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word, the G word, as part of the marketing pitch. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one, only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise. It's a and really, it's like you said, Jeff. It's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the get word guaranteed, gives the potential buyer that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types: fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable, and it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity, which is starting to show up at uh, at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This, the equity indexed annuity product mm-hmm. is on the radio as 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 it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is. I'd probably say in some instances more just you know, I don't see I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh there are radio shows all across you know, we, we hear as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably Five equity indexed annuity based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor uh, type show, like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There, th- there'll be five others. Uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market that do nothing but pitch equity indexed annuities. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know for a fact in every large market in this state, there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday. 
whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity indexed annuities. And every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further in this education, I'll explain why the salespeople of equity indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. The return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff... Throughout the history of of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No, earners. They're 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 basically one step below government bonds in okay. terms of in terms of safety As a, I mean, and, and return. And then return. You know, CDs are back if you buy a CD at a commercial bank and it has FDIC insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits then you are covered by the FDIC insurance program if so, if that bank should fail so so with this in mind knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return is going to be low no matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs and so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher and when I say slight I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity and as we get further into the education I know we're bumping up on a commercial break you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you would want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, And again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are. And we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we We'll stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products. 
Um, so let's get back to the EIA. Now, equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return or rate of interest and an interest rate linked to a market index. Uh, now, what is the guaranteed minimum rate? Well, typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid. Uh, and that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1% to 3%. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1% to 3%. Now, remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars and you're pre-59 and a half, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of an annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the, in the state of Texas if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, 600000 a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you when they're selling you this product. And I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. 
We we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but but the, the fact of the matter is, this is a this is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities... Well, partic- fear has got higher. And, yeah, well, particularly equity-indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. And really, annuities in general, but especially equity-indexed annuities, are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster equity-indexed annuity sales because they can prey the salesman, yes, and I use the word, they can prey on your fear, on your uncomfortableness, and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you. All the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch. If you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, and tails the insurance company loses. I want you. That doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the markets go goes up ten percent? Well, you get ten percent. And and if the market goes down ten percent, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be one to three percent. So you you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch. Mr. Ms. Klein, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part they of don't, the sales they don't go, pitch. They don't go quite that far, but, but the oh really? <laughs> I, I, you, you may be <laughs> sorry. You, you may be making it a little more dramatic. You may be making it a little more dramatic. But there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuities, so how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500 and the index-linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in. So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that sounds good. So if the S&P is up 10%, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside, but then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, 
what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of, say, 4%. So the market goes up 10. The S&P goes up 10%. You're capped at 4. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying right. this and because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated, convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you, it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps. They pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time, less than one a year. year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us on our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates, or basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great. But then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, But again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line and then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And, again, it's to the detriment of your account 
into the betterment of the insurance company. Yeah, and that is a sales pitch. That I, is a sales tactic. And I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, no, but okay. there is there is another teaser that draws clients in. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium. And, and, and we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle. It is an insurance policy. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while. So when you're buying an annuity, the money you're putting into it is called a premium, just like if you were buying a life insurance policy. Uh, And so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity why would an insurance company, if this product is so good, all the upside, none, none of the, the downside, downside, why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you ten free thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will go inside and get out of line. Really get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund. You go on the paper and, oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra 10%. If I put $100,000 into it, it's now going to be worth $110,000. You see any any mutual funds offering any any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is is one of the only products that I know of that, that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they, they sweeten the pot with these bonuses, but you must stay in that investment for the entire. Well, there's different, there's different investing yeah. schedules. There's for different the investing, but, but I can, you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus. And when I say extended period of time, and we're talking 10 years or more. Yeah. And we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second you know and again as i've i've said to anyone thinking about buying these if they have to entice you with free money if this thing is really that good as it's being presented they wouldn't have to give you anything well if they were really that good kyle why would we even need to be buying stocks and why would we need to be buying bonds why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds and why would all these other organizations in the united states that are selling uh, that are managing people's money. Why would why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the markets? All we got to do is stick it in these equity index annuities. Going to get all the upside and none of the downside, and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product? And, and you and you bring up a good point uh, that of the twenty largest insurance companies in, in the country, that nineteen of them avoid it like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. And most equity-indexed annuity providers are smaller 
lower credit quality insurance companies, primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the Met Lifes of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principals of the world getting involved in these types Life. of products. New York Life. They don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either, but... Uh, we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not police these products which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the state board of insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well, in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products. And that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And, in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert, on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance. And just to kind of... For some of our listeners that uh, weren't listening to us in 2005, 2006, we actually turned into the State Board of Insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities. And uh, in one show, in one one hour, they had 26 noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two Ph.D. mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators where they have found that approximately 20% of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA into the sales force. And, and you keep saying EIA equity, equity indexed index annuities. annuities. So if you're given so if you're buying an equity indexed annuity putting $100,000 into it, you can almost assure yourself that about $20,000 of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, well, Kyle, I put in $100,000 and I've got $100,000 in my account. That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between ten 
to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? Why do you think they run radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay big commissions. That's right. Um and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender p- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple equity indexed annuities, and what I have found running numbers back. And in fact, I've I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962, and I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold. Returns ranging anywhere from one and a half to two percent annualized per year. This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or, right. or government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right. So let's talk about their uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear-end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general only allowing up to a 10% free withdrawal uh, anything above that particularly in equity indexed annuities you can be hit with substantial rear end commissions or rear end surrender charges as we call them or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them so again they have a real lack of liquidity now as I was talking about how extremely complicated these products are, you know, they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark. So the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived 
advantages to the purchaser. But because the product is so complex and you need to be a Ph.D. in math and mathematics to figure them out, it, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, op- and, opa- and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Um, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, you know, and what, again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organize crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say, wouldn't you say, Dan? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one-hour or two-hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity indexed annuities, and he's known for the catch a predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator. It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this a salesperson. The salesperson. That's what got him into it. And and so somewhere out there in the internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several. Years this was ago. several years ago. And again, any longtime listener to this program know that we are disdain for annuities of all shapes and forms, but equity indexed annuities is what really gets me fired up because they are so worthless. Well, they're, they're in my the bluebonnet plague of all yeah, of all of all that products we've ever come across. And and you know, we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these, but when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic sounding sales pitches and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X 
Have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago? No. In, in, in fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs. Got an EIA that's had since around 2006. Since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90% after all fees after all fees and expenses that's a huge difference that's a huge difference when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above what a cd would return but I, i can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside none of the downside and i do know and again for education this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits that is an absolute lie there are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability, being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. Yeah. The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. Amen. If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular or, right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's right. You don't and, come. And you, to, you, you, you don't come to us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to yeah. your doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor. Pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of and, any, any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls. I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that have heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities and they have thanked us for making that mistake in buying these types of products and you know i wanted to to thank all of our listeners to to sticking with us in the second hour of this weekend's money wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for 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 nobody i mean they're they're no good period and there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.